Welcome to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 6. Now I'm going to warn you, we have a lot of scripture today because what I want to show you today is something that is just mind-blowing to me. And I want to kind of share with you guys this word that if you had to write, if you're taking notes, write the word. You know, we're going to enter this new series called Grow. And, and today I want to talk about vision. I want to specifically talk about vision. I believe that where you put your vision will direct the rest of your life. In other words, where you put your focus will determine the direction in which your life is going. Uh, I, I joke around, if you've ever ridden with me, you know, I, I'm horrible. You don't want to ever tell me, hey, look at this when I'm driving. My vehicle has a way of going exactly where I'm looking. And so when I look to the right to see something, next thing you know, everybody's grabbing stuff, and I'm like, oh, got to get back over. Because where I put my focus has a tendency to put the direction in which my life is going. And it made me realize, and it's a familiar, familiar verse, and you're going to see some of these scriptures on screen, but the aspect of Proverbs 29, 18 especially that King James Version, you've heard this so many times. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And we stop right there, right? But do you notice there's more to this verse? But he that keep the law, happy is he. And so it's more than just where there is no vision, the people perish. There's also tied into this proverb an aspect of obedience that if we will do what God's called us to do, that's where we find this word happy. In most translations, it will not use the word happy because happy comes across as like an emotion. You know, depending on what I eat for lunch, I could be happy. But we use the word joy. Well, I like the message. It's a paraphrase. It's not a translation, but let me read for you. 29:18 in the message. You'll see it on the screen as well. If people can't see what God is doing... They stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. And I want us to hit, as we launch this new series called Grow, I want us just to simply say, okay, so what's the vision? What is it that God's calling us to? If you and I were to be very honest, there's probably not been a time in your life where you've ever sat down and came up with a personal vision statement. Like, this is what my life is called to. The vision of my life is blank. But I want to give you something, rather than you have to define it, I'm, I'm going to give you what I believe is a phenomenal biblical vision for your life that will change your life. In fact, I love the way that D.L. Moody put it, and this is where I think most of us live. He says, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at something that really doesn't matter. Can I say that one more time so that we all get on the same page? Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at something that really doesn't matter. I want you to know that that is probably the biggest thing in my heart. Like when it comes to vision, when it comes to what God's called us to, I am not afraid about what he's called us to. What I'm afraid of, and I use that word, I know scripture's clear about fear. You don't have to come up to me afterwards. Well, pastor, the Bible says not to fear. I understand all that. But I'm human. The thing that consumes me the most that I can become fearful of is the getting to the end of this life and everything that I was working on, everything that I was doing, really didn't matter. 
My fear is not about being successful or not successful, however you define that. My fear is, is being successful at something that really doesn't matter. And so the question is, well, how can we do that? Last week, and I'm going to kind of tie these two series together, when we end 21 Days of Prayer, we had a phenomenal time last Sunday with Baptism Sunday. Had so many people. It was an awesome day. It's not an end, though. We want to keep building on that as we grow and as we move forward. But here's where most people sit. In Matthew, the last things that God says, we have these words they call the Great Commission. I'm going to use a different scripture to do it, but basically, can I sum up the Great Commission for you? Can I put it in everyday English for you? When we talk about vision and what we're called to do, it's very simply this. Lost people saved, saved people pastored, pastored people trained, and trained people mobilized. And we think of that as a very New Testament concept, right? We got Matthew, and we have it in Matthew chapter 28 towards the end. But I want to read for you Mark, because I love the way that Mark puts it in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 20. He says this. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that they accomplished. This aspect of a great commission, in other words, here's something that God's called us to do, is a very cool, amazing idea. And we think of it as a very New Testament idea, right? Here's what I want you to catch. Are you ready? The aspect of the Great Commission, we think of that as something that God's called us to, a vision. And a lot of churches will have like a vision of of what they want to do. They'll say, hey, we're going to go and share and make disciples. And we think of this as this very New Testament concept, but here's what I want to show you. Today I want to show you the four main promises in God's Word to God's people that's in Exodus chapter 6, and how the Great Commission was not a New Testament concept. It actually was an entire Bible concept. It shows up in the Old Testament several times and also in the New Testament. Can I read for you Exodus chapter 6 to kind of get us on the same page? It says, therefore, this is chapter 6, verse 6, therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the under the yoke of the Egyptians. These two verses is where a lot of the Israelites to this day, the Jews, will celebrate Passover. And here's what's kind of crazy. We think about Jesus at the Passover when he takes the cup and he blesses it and they drink from it and he institutes the Lord's Supper, right? But the reality is, is if you were to go back and study Hebrew tradition, there wouldn't be a cup on the table. There would actually be four cups on the table. And these four cups would represent the four different promises out of these two verses in Exodus 6, verse 6, and verse 7. And these different cups would represent different things. And it kind of will help you understand, again, that the Great Commission was not a New Testament idea. It actually was very much an Old Testament throughout God's Word. In fact, can I show you in this, and you can underline if you have a paper Bible. But if you look at the first verse, it says, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from the yoke of the Egyptians. That aspect of I will bring you out represents the cup of salvation. You have to understand that one of the cups that would have been on the the table that was a promise that God gave to his people was the fact that, you know what, I am going to save you from what you have been entrapped with. 
But one of the things we talked about is that in Exodus, God called Moses through a burning bush to deliver people out of what had enslaved them and held them captive into the promised land and where freedom held. And realize that in today, 2021, that's exactly what God's calling you and me to. To call people out of captivity into freedom. To call people from what they've been entangled and enslaved with, sin and lifestyle, into an aspect of where freedom and the promised land holds. Here's the way we put it in John 10.10. 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you life and give you life more abundantly. But this aspect of the cup is an amazing thing, and the cup would not just be salvation, but they call it the cup of sanctification. In other words, he is sanctifying you. He is making you have the ability to have a relationship with the Lord. The second cup, and you already see it on the screen, is the cup of deliverance. Not only was there this promise of sanctification, but there also was this promise of deliverance. You see it in chapter 6, verse 6, where he says, not only will he bring you out from under the yoke, in other words, he would save you, he would sanctify you. But then he says, I will free you from bring, being slaves to them. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to deliver you from captivity into freedom. Now, can I chase a real quick rabbit? People will tell you it took roughly about 40 days for the Jews to get from Egypt to Mount Sinai. Like to deliver them out of captivity was not a very long time. Some people would say it could even have been done in 10 days. You say, well, how long did it take them to enter the promised land? Over 40 years. You say, why? Listen to this. Because their issue wasn't getting the Jews out of Egypt. The reason why it took so long is it took God that long to get Egypt out of the Jews. Listen, I think that's where a lot of us sit. Our issue is that God delivers us from something. The problem is, is that we still have so much of what we have put in ourselves that even though God's delivered us and given us freedom, we still live like captives. Like that's where a lot of us live. Like there was times, if you were to read this story, literally they start petitioning Moses and they're like, why can't we go back? At least when we were back there, we were fed. Like they started saying, I would rather be a slave and have it easy and work for somebody enslaved rather than to own what I have. Boy, that's a message for 2021, isn't it? Guys, listen to me very carefully. I'm not going to talk about you. I'm going to talk about me. The number one thing that I struggle with in my life is being free but living like I'm captive. God delivering me from stuff, but yet I feel like it's still got a hold of my life. Some of you guys may struggle with addictions. You say, how do I overcome addictions? You stop trying to do it. If God has freed you, he said, I will set you free and you are free indeed. Like eventually you got to start living like somebody has freed you rather than being consumed like you're captive. It's what you choose to dwell on. It's what you choose to, to pour your life into. It's where you choose to focus. It's where your vision is. I know some people that are so caught up in trying not to do the wrong thing that they can't do the right thing. Like at some point, God's saying, hey, listen, I've forgiven you and I've set you free. Go live like you're free. Quit living like you're enslaved. That would be that second cup. They'd have these four cups. One would be the cup of sanctification. One would be the cup of deliverance. But then there's this third cup. 
This third cup that would have been on the table that you find straight here, these are the promises that God gave. He says, I will redeem you. He says, and I'll keep reading, I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with a mighty axe of judgment. The aspect of here is the cup of restoration. So you not only have this cup of sanctification and this cup of deliverance, but they're also on this table during the Passover of the Jewish time would be this cup of restoration. Listen to me. Here's what restoration means. I'm going to restore to you everything that you've ever been promised. I'm going to restore the aspect of what you're called to. I'm going to restore the promises I have for you. What does that look like? You remember the garden? When God created Adam and Eve and everything was perfect, and then sin entered the world and we became captive, guess what? God's not settling for where we are right now. God is in the process of restoring and redeeming his people. In other words, we will get back to the garden. He calls it the new heaven and the new earth. But listen, this is cool. You're fooling yourself if you got to wait till death to have it. God has the ability to restore who we are. It's the cup of redemption. In other words, through Christ, he finds redeeming value in you. I made this comment earlier today, and I have to be real careful. I'm not talking about any particular church. I'm talking about just churches in general. But here's what got me really, I want to be careful the way I word this, a, a little bit confused. The pastor that I was under at the church that I grew up in was a very key evangelical type pastor. And every message kind of sounded the same. It sounded like this, you are so bad, you are so wicked, you are so terrible that you need Jesus. And so what it did for me is it made me leave there going, I'm so bad, I'm so horrible, man, I need Jesus. And I accepted Christ my Lord and Savior when I was 16 years old. But you know what I had when I accepted Christ? A major inferiority complex. I felt like I was so bad and so oppressed and so terrible that I didn't think I could do anything for Christ because who was I? And then I would have somebody say, oh, yeah, you got to be real careful because you're, I mean, you're, you're, you're wicked, you're terrible, you're horrible, you're sinful, you're just blah, like you're so bad. And so it made me go, wow, I mean, thankfully Jesus has made me more, but I didn't want to do anything for Christ. I didn't feel like I could because I felt inadequate, right? And then I started opening God's word. And I started reading where God said, no, no, I've made you more than a conqueror. Oh, man, I like that one. He said, I made you a little less than the angels. Oh, wow, okay. You're the apple of his eye, Okay. Like, all of a sudden, I went, wait a minute, what happened to this, like, oppressive, like, I'm so wicked, I'm so bad? Now, don't mishear me. What they were trying to do is identify that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that, we need a relationship with Jesus. But you are fooling yourself if you think that God looked at you and goes, oh, well, one out of a billion can't be bad. I jacked that one up. God looks at you and says, oh, man, now that, oh, that one. If he or she will let me be a Lord of his life, he can do all things through Christ who gives him or her strength. See, it was, it was the aspect of all of a sudden realizing that God redeems me. 
He adds value to me. He takes what was once my inheritance that I lost because of decisions that I made. But when I make things right with him, he not only restores that inheritance, but Scripture says that he calls me a son of the king. I'm going to adopt it into his family. Think about that. The creator of this world says, hey, man, I don't have to. I choose to adopt you into my family. So listen to me. If you grew up with a little bit of that message like what I talked about, and I'm not downgrading that message I know what they're trying to say. It's just the way that they're delivering it is coming across the wrong way. Listen to me. Let that stuff go. God has something more for you. And if you've been oppressed by God's word through a pastor using that to leverage your wickedness against you, on behalf of those pastors, can I apologize? But can I also tell you, You are a sinful person, and you need a relationship with Jesus. But when we accept Jesus and he redeems us, oh, you become one of the most powerful people through Christ where he says you can do anything. In fact, he will leverage your life to take people who are on a path of destruction and through the way you love God and love people to put them on a path of righteousness. That's amazing. But that would be that third cup. And then there's this fourth cup. This one's a little bit more intriguing. So not only would you have the cup of sanctification, the cup of deliverance, and the cup of redemption, but then you have this fourth cup, which is the cup of praise. And it comes where it says, I will take you as my own people. It says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And the aspect that goes along with this cup of praise is the aspect that God starts letting them know that I'm going to give you the ability to understand what your purpose is. So in the Jewish custom, what would happen is it wouldn't be just this one cup that was sitting at the table. They would have four cups, each one of them representing the cup of sanctification, the cup of deliverance, the cup of redemption, and the cup of praise. And it would signify to them the promises, these core promises that God gave them out of the deliverance of delivering them out of Egypt. Well, if if we were to think about these and look at it as far as the Great Commission, the cup of sanctification, guess what that represents? Salvation. The cup of deliverance is what? Freedom. The cup of redemption is what? Discovering what you've made for. And the praise and figuring out what you're called for is a purpose, right? But there's one particular scripture that I really like. It's in Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to read for it, and I want you to see one more time where this, this great commission, where this vision, where this purpose comes from. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may, and if you have a paper Bible, underline these words, know him better. I pray that, underline these words, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, In order that you may, underline these words, know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious, underline these last, inheritance in his holy people. Do you know that right there in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, we get this same four cups? Here's the way it looks. He wants us to know him better, their salvation. He wants to know the hope to which he has called you. Guess what? There's that deliverance. He wants to to understand through this enlightenment. 
and then to know is glorious. Here's the way we put it. Like, I want to dive in for just a minute because we're getting ready to celebrate four years as a church. And I just thought it was time for me to kind of go back for a minute and preach a message on the vision and why we do what we do. Can I go back to Ephesians chapter 1? And can we look at these real quick and let me tell you the way we say it around here? Like, you want to talk about why do we do what we do? What's the vision of Crossroads? Well, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1 where it simply says that I will know the hope. Here's where we get our first concept. We want you to know God. Like, Scripture is very clear. And we want you to know God. In fact, Luke chapter 15 verse 7 says this. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So what I want to do is I want to give you four simple things. It's the vision of crossroads and a revelation that means this should be applied to our life if this is true. So if Luke is true that there's more rejoicing over one sinner than anything else, you know what that means? Here's the revelation that I wrote down. Are you ready? Reaching the law should be a primary purpose. If more rejoicing... I tell you that the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Booyah, revelation. Here's what we understand. Reaching the lost should be our primary purpose. I love another scripture that's really cool. It's in Acts chapter 15, verse 19. It's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Can I put that in everyday language? When it comes to reaching the lost in your life, in my life, in our church's life, here's an idea. How about we don't make it difficult? And it's that aspect of knowing God. We want to know God. The second thing that's in Ephesians chapter 1 that I love so much, it's found in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. That's where we get know God. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Here's the word we use. We say, you know what? We want people to find freedom. It's these same cups, right? The cup of sanctification, the cup of salvation. We want people to know God. It's the cup of deliverance, right? We want people to be delivered. We want them to find freedom. I love this scripture. It's so good. It's James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So that you may be healed. I know a lot of people that are struggling and they need something to kind of heal them to be able to move forward. The problem is, is they're trying to carry a burden they were never meant to carry. And if we can get into relationships with different people, and we can build relationships and we can start carrying this burden together. It says if we'll confess these things and build a relationship with each other, that God has a way of using those relationships and through a relationship with Christ to heal us. Here's the revelation. Are you ready? If this scripture is true, then here's what we understand. Real life change happens in the context of relationships. Can I tell you while we're launching community groups? Community groups have one purpose, to bring people together. Why? Because you and I need it. You're fooling yourself if you think you can do this life by yourself. You've got a distorted vision. 
We understand through this revelation that, look at it, it's very simple. Real life change happens in the context of relationships. Where does that come from? Right out of God's word. It's that cup of deliverance. I want to say this as polite and loving as I possibly can. If you think one hour a week on Sunday mornings is enough for you, I can tell you a whole lot of where your life is. There's not anything in my life that I dedicate one hour a week to that's ever been successful. You say, oh, Mickey, here we go. You're going to start having Sunday nights? No. Lord, no. Please, Jesus. No. But there's got to be something more, guys. It could be a round of golf with some buddies. It could be a dinner at El Caz. Please invite me. I love that place. It could be walking on the Greenway on Thursday mornings. It could be cards once a month at a house with just a bunch of people. It could be a ladies' Bible study. It could be a men's softball league. But I guarantee you this. What it's not is you by yourself. God never intended you to do life by yourself. It's that cup of deliverance, right? We turn around and get delivered from Egypt, but yet we still can't get Egypt out of us. You get delivered from your past, but you can't get your past out of yourself. How do I do that, Mickey? Loving God and loving people. Allow people to go on the journey with you. There has this accountability and you have these keeper friends that, that will pour good stuff into you and they will help guide you. We call it community groups. You know, the third thing, which is another one of these cups that's out of this scripture where we get our purpose. It says, having their eyes of their hearts enlightened that you may know what it is, the hope to which he has called you. You know, the, the third thing that we talk about is discover your purpose. Now, here's what's really amazing. I love that in Ephesians, he links your purpose to where you find your hope. I know a lot of people that struggle with hope and what God's calling them to, and the reason being is because they don't know what their purpose is. God links your purpose to your hope. It's that cup of redemption. Like all of us want to know that not only has God redeemed me, but he's now put me in a point where I can have an influence, I can make a difference. And when I start discovering what it is and the purpose of my life, all of a sudden I have a major hope that comes in because now I know my life's worth something. It goes back to D.L. Moody that I said at the very beginning, right? Our biggest fear is not doing something and being successful. Our biggest fear is doing something that doesn't really matter. So we want you to discover your purpose. If this vision is true, here's the revelation. Can I make it very simple? The ministers lead. It's the people that minister. Why do we do the things that we do? Look at me. Because you're better than me. You're better at ministering to your circle than I am. You say, Mickey, what makes you say that? Because you have a purpose. And then the last thing, this cup of praise, it comes out of the same thing. It's really, really good. 
What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? It's what we get the amazing concept of make a difference. John 15, 8 says it this way. This is my father's glory that you bear much fruit. Showing yourself to be my disciples, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I want you, if you have a paper Bible, to underline the words, bear much fruit. You need to know that God's desire for you is not just to bear a little bit of fruit, not just to bear a fruit. He wants you to bear much fruit. So here's what that means, okay? Here's simple-minded pastor. If your life is not bearing much fruit, then you ain't got his life yet. If you struggle with joy, you know why you struggle with joy? Because you're not producing what God wants you to produce. He says when you bear much fruit, he does that, why? So that you will have joy. And it's not just having joy, but that he will complete that joy. Can I read it one more time? Again, it's John chapter 15, verses 8 and 11. This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Here's the revelation. You can go ahead and put it on the screen because this is the key. Your revelation is that God has already hardwired every person to live a life of being transient. Can I put that in a very Mickeyism way? God did not call you to live life simply for yourself. See, if we were to look at this, it's the same four cups that were in that that last supper that God turns around and he says, you know what, I'm gonna have a cup of of sanctification. I'm gonna have a cup of redemption. I'm gonna have a cup of deliverance. I'm gonna have a cup of praise. And all four of those make up his vision of what he's called you to. We say it this way. We want you to know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and go make a difference. That is the lifeblood. You say, Mickey, why do you spend a whole Sunday talking about that? Because we're four years into this, and sometimes we just gotta remember why we're doing it. You say, why? Because of one scripture. One scripture. It's Psalms chapter 92, verse 13. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of God. Can I read it one more time? Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of God. Here's what I put beside it. I believe if the conditions are right, okay, if the conditions are right, life will happen. When it comes to the vision of what we're called to, when it comes to us figuring out what it is that God wants us to do, I believe that your life and my life has more to do with the conditions in which we're finding us rather than everything that's going on that's chaotic in our world. I believe that as a church, if the conditions are right, life will happen. In fact, throw up that very last slide. It's the reason why we say over and over again that we want you to have life and to have life more abundantly. If you're encouraged by today's podcast and would like to hear more messages, visit us at crossroadscommunitychurch.com.